Welcome to this month's dive into the horror genre that is Invasion of the Potty People. We've got the latest news because even in a potentially cinema killing pandemic, there's stuff happening. Uh, we've got recommendations and to mark Women in Horror Month, some of the best female directed horrors to check out. This month, there are the trio of us. It's myself, James and Vincent. So I'll introduce you to the Motley crew. Uh, so first up, we've got James Rodriguez and I hope everyone's doing well. And then we've also got... This is Vincent. I'm gazing at my pop vinyl figures and I think they're staring back. But no, lockdown's not bothering me at all. How about you? (laughs) (laughs) And then there's myself, which is Russell. And uh, as Vincent mentioned, we're in the middle of uh, lockdown and it's it's fine. <laughs> so before we get into the horror, I thought we'd all chat about how everyone is dealing with these really strange, boring, exhausting times. Uh, myself, I'm listening to a lot of podcasts. There are obviously the film ones. There's ones about horror, the ones about more general film stuff. But I've also jumped into this one that's that's talking about the scandals around Richard Nixon's first vice president called Bagman. There's a wonderful podcast called "The End." This ends at prom, which is all about coming of age films, and I've got gone back into one called "Off Menu," where James A. Castor and Ed Gamble interview people about their dream meals, and it is a joy. I I am loving going back into podcasts and being able to escape for an hour or two a day into the world or that they are, and I'm also watching um, a really wonderfully uplifting show called Ted Lasso. And it has to be pretty good because it's about football and I can't stand football, but it's really fun, really upbeat. And it's about a nice character at the centre, which I really would prefer TV shows are about. I'm kind of bored of the uh, brooding asshole or the nice guy doing terrible things and becoming worse as you watch over several seasons. I wonder James. what shows you might have been describing there, Russell. Hmm. <laughs> When you say that this um, show, what's it called, Lasso, Ted Lasso? Ted Lasso. Okay. When you say it's about football, is it about football in the same way that Jaws is about a shark? As in, not really? Yeah, it's it's also in the same way that Moneyball is about American, is about baseball, but it's not really because oh. it's just about like interesting characters and the uh, the sport is the set dressing. Like how The Mighty Ducks is a wonderfully uplifting family film that happens to be about hockey. So. Gotcha. Gotcha. Oh, fair enough. Uh, James, what have you been keeping yourself sane with this lockdown? Well, I seem to find myself turning towards TV and comedy a lot more to get myself relaxed and just have a nice time. So I've been going over and re-watching Taskmaster, and there's something very enjoyable in seeing celebrities make prat to themselves again and again. Um, it's a bit of a comfort watch, but I've also gotten into I've gotten into Superstore, a show which has come on Netflix over the past month, and it's set within this fictional supermarket in America, and it's just it's a typical sitcom half hour scenario of you got these group this group of people working in the same space and they're going over. Uh, day-to-day problems in absurdist ways while also tackling big issues in their own little way and it's a chill watch it's one of those where you get into it and you really get 
hooked on the characters and you just want to see everything turn out all right for them. So I've been going through that and now I'm trying to find another new show to watch. Maybe I'll go for Ted Lasso, but I suppose that means I need to take out another streaming service account. So uh, what else am I going to do? <laughs> um, I have been watching far too much Taskmaster. It's our like evening ritual now is to end the evening watching one of the episodes from the series. I think we watched four or five seasons so far and it's just it's when there's a task that's just absurd and ridiculous and you, it's it's great. Like uh, I'm trying to think of one. We saw them recreate video games and uh, James A. casted Grand Theft Auto and that was brilliant. And there was one where they had to like get eggs into specific tubes and if the egg didn't crack, they got double points. And Yeah, it's it's wonderful. Yeah, the one we just watched had um, trying to get people, celebrities trying to get to um stuffed giraffe through the smallest gap and yeah some people take it literally of just get it in there and other people just cut it up and try and get it through in the way resembling a serial killer uh, <laughs> this is some an interesting sort of riff on the whole squeezing um what is it what's the bible phrase um easier for a rich for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle but someone decided to use a giraffe instead of a camel <laughs> which i get you know uh, and Vincent, what have you been up to this lockdown? Well, let's see. Um, like you, Russell, I've certainly been reveling in podcasts. Um, there's um, some that we've mentioned on this um, podcast before, think, um, like um, the Faculty of Horror and the Evolution of Horror. Um, I had a pleasant surprise the other day with um, Journey Through Sci-Fi, because um, I make a point of trying, if I haven't seen the film before, I make a point of trying to see it before I listen to the podcast episode. And there was this one episode that I thought talked about the Butterfly Effect and Time Crimes, neither of which I'd seen, but I did watch Time Crimes yesterday, and then today realised the episode was actually about Time Crimes and Looper, Looper, which I'd seen several times, so I was able to listen to that. Aside from that, I've also been continue to exercise, although I haven't been jogging lately because of the snow, which is very annoying. Um, also, weird as this sounds, I've been working and really liking the work. I was out of work for four months, and... Um, in the two positions I have now, um, little additional work bits of work keep coming along. It's like, oh, Vincent, can you do this? Oh, Vincent, can you do this? I'm like, yep, yeah, sure, no problem at all. So, you know, more um, seminars to teach, more uh, lectures to record. Um, in terms of viewing, um, I've, um, I was delighted that the um, final season of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Is, has all become available on um, Disney+, Plus, uh, which we will come back to. Um, and I have been very much enjoying going back to that series. Um, and it, it, I think it's uh, one of the runts of the Marvel litter, as it were, but I've always enjoyed Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and I think the seventh season has proved to be its strongest. So uh, that's what I'm doing, and yeah, it's all good. Cool, sounds great. And uh, yeah, Looper is 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 one of my favourite time travel films because it kind of doesn't really matter too much about the time travel. It's just a really fun thriller. It is, yeah. I do recommend Time Crimes. It's a strange little independent Spanish film. Uh, well worth a look. Although I'll warn you, that is very much, the time travel is important there. <laughs> time Crimes is excellent. I can second that. And Looper is especially notable because it was probably the last time Bruce Willis seemed to give a shit on film. Yes, just what I think. Yeah, um, considering I think a recent um, film that both James and I have seen and reviewed if you want contemporary Bruce Willis, look no further than uh, anti-life. 
Cool. Uh, so we're going to start up by diving into the news, and we've each picked a subject area that we're going to talk about. Uh, Vincent, you're going to go first, aren't you? Indeed. So um, I said we were going to come back to Disney Plus, and I'm here to, to and I'm going to men- talk about um, the Disney Plus's launch of Star. Um, so <clears throat> the Star app, which includes a massive library of movies and shows, coming to Disney Plus subscribers outside of the USA later this month. Now, I think this is, you know, textbook Disney um, strategy. What we've got here is um, Disney, since they've, with with all the different things that they've bought, most um, prominently in this case, um, 20th Century Fox, um, a great deal of of Disney material, of of the material Disney now owns, um, is perhaps not immediately it doesn't fit with the Disney brand of, you know, very much broad family entertainment um, like Pixar, like uh, Marvel, like Star Wars. Nonetheless, and I think there were fears not so long ago that all of the material that um, uh, Disney purchased from FX and 20th Century Studios um, was just sort of going to sit in a vault. We'd be like, um, hello. Um, but that it turns out not to be the case. Um, as um, at least some material is going to be put onto this new Star app. Um, now, this uh, does raise a few, raise some interesting questions. I think so. On the one hand, it's not compromising the Disney brand by including by including the more mature material on there, such as just to have a quick glance down their series. There's things like um, Badass, Bad Company, Bad Girls, um, The Color of Money consenting adults dead presidents which i'm very keen to see because i've been meaning to see that movie for years um edward the edge idiocracy um jennifer's body and i will come back to that in a sec because what we have here is here's stuff that it wouldn't necessarily be disney but now it doesn't have to be um branded as disney because it's on this star app now my concern on this is is this going to split into a streaming service of its own thus requiring an additional subscription fee. Should that happen, I will not be at all surprised, and I will make the decision there as to whether it's actually worth keeping up, keeping up with it. Um, just f- to make sure that we are you know, in- strongly encouraged for such things, um, the report from um, CNET uh, indicates that there is also going to be original content on there, currently available on Hulu and ABC in the US, uh, such as a, there's a Marvel show called Hellstrom, teen drama Love, Victor, uh, a detective series, Big Sky. I don't know these series, but this is the original content that is being produced and that will be accessible through Star. Um, I mentioned Jennifer's Body, but it's worth noting that um, Jennifer's Body is one of the few horror bodies available on Star. Um, the horror fans are not particularly well served, I think, when um, the three of uh, the team of um, invasion of the potty snatchers have discussed this and identified i think f- barely less than two dozen um horror titles um of eight coming to star but to be fair that's uh, this first initial release and it's entirely possible that like with netflix like with amazon prime different content's going to be added and probably be sort of revolving in and out and hey it's not as though there are there isn't good stuff on there because just uh, for one thing that's just cropped up on here, looking down the list, The Fly will be available on Star. So, hey, there's going to be some good stuff on there. I certainly look forward to it, and I just uh, hope I don't end up having to pay extra. Yeah, it, look, it looks interesting. There's there's um, enough adult stuff on there that I um, 
uh, interested, but it doesn't serve horror people quite the way we'd like. But it does have this film that I loved as as a kid that I had a um a VHS of called Deep Rising, which is not a very good film, but it is a lot of fun and it's about a band of I guess modern pirates who go onto a ship and find it overrun with a big tentacly monster and it's very silly, very nineties and a lot of fun. So there's that, but it is mostly sort of genre adjacent uh adult fare. Uh James, what do you think about this? I'm all for Disney actually making use of their Fox content and actually letting their adult stuff out there. And when it comes to price wise, I believe I read yeah, in the long run, it is going to cost more. I believe the month, the annual the annual price is going up by about £20 or so. But if you signed up before it comes on, which is February 23rd, then you don't have to pay any extra until about August. So, that is correct. Yeah, thank you, James. I should have mentioned that. Yes, that is, yeah. that is right. So if you're already a Disney Plus subscriber, then, um, yeah, it's not going to cost you extra just yet. Yeah, so at the very least, that's all right for now. But I do think it's very interesting that of all the films they announced, they seem to keep quiet about the Alien and Predator films, which I would have thought are the biggest horror horror franchises which Disney currently have under their thumb. So, Good point. I yeah. believe that there, that there may be... I think it has been announced that Disney want to announce... Um, do a sort of an alien reboot to sort of a, a their original content um alien based series so fair oh, enough i mean if you give me the choice well, okay so bring in new people to make an alien series or have ridley scott churn out another prequel i think i know which that's not revealing that's a fair point based on what you said russell you i remember seeing deep rising on uh, uh, late night on TV long ago, and uh, yeah, it's very silly but very fun. And I believe directed by Stephen Summers, who would go on to do the Mummy and the Mummy Returns. Yeah, I think it is. Uh, and if you want uh, exclusively more horror stuff, Arrow Player has just launched over here. So there is another streaming service of the many, 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 many streaming services we have that will have more genre-specific work, and you can watch. I mean, films that we've plugged here so something like a ghost waits is on there which we loved at uh the fright fest that it played at and then there's the things like demons and demons 2 hellraiser um i think i saw slugs was on there there's lots of uh more culty horror can be found over an arrow player so i'll probably end up having both if i'm honest i'm gonna probably have star and uh, arrow player because i just need all of the content <laughs> Uh, James, what is your story of the uh, month? Well, over the past weekend, we had the Super Bowl aired over on television screens. And as is tradition, you get many, many looks at upcoming projects, often TV shows and films. Among those, we had the first look at Falcon and the Winter Soldier, going back to Disney+. And we had a new look at Fast and Furious 9, which is possibly the first film to get trailers at two consecutive Super Bowls. I mean, I say this with a question mark because I haven't actually researched it, but I mean, what else is going to get have get that? I mean, it's not like we've had coronavirus again. But uh, one of the things which aired was a teaser trailer for 
for a film called Old, which is the latest film by one M. Night Shyamalan. Now, yes. when it comes to M. Night, he's become the butt of people's jokes, but it can't be denied he is pretty good with concepts, and when he hits out the park, he really can, just glossing over the happening and the last airbender there. But this latest film, we don't have a lot on it, but from the looks of it, you've got this family who are at the beach just having a nice sunny day. Ah, oh, remember those. And while they're there, they discover they've aged quite a bit. And it looks like, from what we've seen, it looks like there's a bit of body horror and something sinister going on. And it looks to be, at the very least, I'm intrigued. And I hope this is this is more top-tier M. Night. Hell, I'll take mid-tier M. Night at this point. But... I, I'm excited. I'm all for original content. Yeah, I'm all for um passable M Night. Uh, I am old enough that I saw Signs in the cinema, and I actually mostly loved that. And then I saw The Village, and did not love that. And then I kind of checked out from him, but managed to catch The Happening one time. Which, <laughs> <laughs> but like, I mean, I've seen like The Visit and Split, and they're both interesting. I I think it's interesting. He's going for. Uh, smaller films having made these col- these quite big studio films such as The Last Airbender and did he make After Earth with Will Smith? You know, yes. I really hoped we could avoid mentioning After Earth. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've never seen it. I, I It looks don't not it's worth my time. Oh no, but it's yeah. one of the worst films of the past decade. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's, that's M. Night. He's capable of making some really great gra- uh, contained horrors like signs or split was fun and then he can make some of the worst films ever made didn't see lady in the water it looked again weak Uh, so yeah i'm intrigued by this i have a theory of what it's all about and that's exciting i am excited that he might have another twist because i do miss the days when m night had those twists in his films so bring it on Hmm. i'm actually old enough to have seen the sixth sense in cinemas um, which is 22 years ago, which is fairly terrifying. Um, but uh, yes, I, I agree that um, um, Shyamalan used to be great and then it became M. Night Shaman by the last movie. Um, but I think he's recovered some mojo lately. I thought Split was a lot of fun. Um, uh, um, Glass, I've forgotten the title of it. Um, I think I liked Glass up to a point. And actually, I think that might qualify as a more recent time when Bruce Willis gave a shit about what he was doing. Um, maybe yeah yeah. um, yeah, I'll be I think I think like you you both I am cautiously optimistic I guess my thing with the Super Bowl this year was uh, it was noticeable that we're still not at a point where we're going to get big films because the uh, quantity and uh, I guess um, scale of the trailers were a lot smaller so there were fewer film trailers and the films being trailed beyond uh, Fast and Furious 9 all seemed quite smaller and ones you could catch on a streaming service as opposed to some of the bigger films they've had trailed there so there wasn't any mission possible this time or uh, any marvel superheroes or dc superheroes it was all very smaller which it just reflected the time we we're in i guess are we there yet this beach it's beautiful my swimsuit is hurting they do look small Come on, let's play hide and seek have you seen my children mom i'm right here he was six years old this morning <laughs> Oh no. Mom, I'm scared. 
So my news story to round us off is that Glasgow Fright Fest is coming. Uh, so running from the 24th of February to the 7th of March is the Glasgow Film Festival, which last year I believe was the last, uh, certainly in this country, uh, in-person film festival before the pandemic, and now it's gone online only. So there's going to be a whole wealth of films to watch. Some are genre, some are not, and there are some delights to excite and intrigue. I might catch Black Bear, which is this strange-looking sort of thriller with Audrey Plaza and Christopher Abbott in the mix. Uh, but what's exciting for us is that Frightfest is back. Uh, they've scaled down, so they're showing six films, uh, as opposed to their usual about 50. Uh, although I think it's a lot smaller for Glasgow and normal. I think it's about uh, 15 normally for Glasgow Frightfest. And they're online only and they've capped uh, to 500 spaces per films. And it's in the first weekend of March. And there, there are a couple of films that I'm excited for. So there's one called Vicious Fun, which has the wonderful setup of a film critic who stumbles into a self-help group for serial killers and so has to use his film knowledge to pretend to be a serial killer. And that's from the director of one of my favourite festival watches of last year, which is a film called The Oak Room, which I adored when I caught it at Grimfest. It's this wonderfully contained story within story within story, just about people walking into bars on snowy nights telling stories. And it's wonderful. So I will try and catch that. And there's this intriguing one called The, the Woman with Leopard Shoes, which is a black and white noir thriller, mostly confined to one room of a house, which feels very apt for our current predicament. Doesn't it just? Uh, <laughs> uh, so are you guys excited for uh, Fright Fest this year? Are you going to catch any of the films? Are there any that really don't do it for you? What do you think of it? I confess I haven't had a look at the lineup yet, but um, thank you for bringing it to my attention. Certainly, I will be checking it through and seeing what appeals, maybe um, seeing about getting, um, yeah, seeing, seeing what I can see and what I can review. Yeah. Uh, James, any of those excite you? I must admit, I am also interested in the new film from the director of The Oak Room, because I agree that was a tremendous little film. Um, but I must I am a bit... I mean, only six films and only... It's... Okay, I can see it's odd times still trying to work around all this. And, I mean, who knows? Maybe this instance will work better. Maybe there won't be so many buffering issues and... Maybe we won't have a sub a film which is meant to have subtitles, but ends up not having any. Oh, they'll never live that down, will they? Oh no. I must admit, I do wish they. Uh, I do wish it was a bit more traditional, but if it works, it works. I haven't booked any tickets yet. I don't know if I will, but I, at the very least, I am curious. Yeah, and um. I would dearly love to have a more traditional fright fest. Uh, I, think I, my, I guess my issue with this is that uh, they've got six films and I can understand why you would have a reduced lineup because of one thing and another. But it's an all male lineup of directors, which is just a bit boring. Mm -hmm. And it okay. makes me question what the state of horror is that fright fest is trying to represent. And, and uh, I wondered if this was a wider problem than just Fright Fest, or if it's just that there's something about Fright Fest that's a bit of a all-boys club. And I understand that it's it's odd for free guys to complain about there not being much representation, gender representation. But I want to watch horror films from 
everyone. I want to watch everyone represented, and, and that's not what I've got from Fright Fest, certainly in the uh, online variety. I wonder if you'd had any thoughts about that. Sure. Um, I think, I mean, it's interesting you say, you know, it may sound a little odd for three blokes to complain about um, not seeing more films directed by women. But I think the point being, we are exactly, I mean, it's, I think that the the challenges to um, inequality need to come from everywhere. If you are a an advocate for equality, then I think whatever your gender may be, whatever your background, it's um, kind of, if you're, if you're for equality, you're for equality. So I think, you know, this is something that we are absolutely, as much as anyone else, should be talking about this. And having seen, you know, um, a number of, um, you know, very interesting films directed, horror films at Fright Fest directed by um, women. Hell, I mean, when I went to Fright Fest back in 2019 um, in London, I remember it, the first, it was introduced by the Soska sisters, you know, prominent figures um, of horror, female figures of horror, and who are, you know, among many other female filmmaker, putting forward the interesting, putting forward interesting work, and it needs to be seen alongside um, that uh, of men. Now, this isn't to say that, um, you know, all male-directed horror is terribly traditional and conservative, but I think you're absolutely right, um, uh, Russell, to point out that the it is a bit boring that the programmers of Fright Fest aren't making more of an effort for diversity. And I'd be also interested to know of the films that are showing. Okay, yes, they're all men, and are they all white? Um, would be another interesting question. So I think you know these are the kind of conversations we need to have, and it's good that you brought it up. This isn't the first time this issue has come up because I remember um, a fantastic article by Becky Dark in Zobo with a Shotgun and where she reviewed, I believe it was the first fright, Virtual Fright Fest from, 20, from last year. And she brought up this very issue where it was very much male-directed films drowning out what few ones weren't directed by straight white men. and. It's just a case of it's more interesting when you have a variety of lenses you can you can look through to tell all these various stories. That's why something like His House is more impactful than something like Green Book. It's all down to who tells the story just as much as anything. And we need to highlight the different voices and have them tell their stories because they have fascinating things to tell us. I mean, look at Get Out. Can you imagine a white guy doing that? I can imagine a white guy being pilloried for it, yes. <laughs> but yeah, you bring up a good point, and it's that Fright Fest is this platform. We in the horror community know it is. It is the festival we all know. For many of us, it's our first taste of a horror festival, and we'll go off and find other examples of it. And and there have been these remarkable films directed or written by women. So we've had in the online festival to name three, we've had 12 hour shift lucky and aliens alien on stage. And those three are three of the best films that I saw last year. And I, I'm not trying to pit one festival against the other, but last year I discovered Soho horror festival. I was aware of it, but I'd never watched stuff through them. And they put together a range of festivals that were wonderfully inclusive, had diverse voices from across a whole spectrum of creatives. And it was just a 
a refreshing experience to have these voices represented. And we I critique Fright Fest not out of any animosity, but because I love Fright Fest. I think Fright Fest is fantastic. And I also understand that it's this platform that we, well, certainly I would hope we could be used in the best way possible. And the best way possible is just to have the range of voices, because as you say, there's His House, there's Get Out, there's these remarkable films. We're going to talk about nine incredible films directed by women in a minute. And I, I just, yeah, I want Fright Fest to be better. And uh, it doesn't take away my desire to watch something like Vicious Fun, which does look like exactly that. But it does make me question some of their choices because we have watched some less than great films that, that you wonder who could have gone in that slot instead, who could have been in the key Saturday evening slot, which uh, certainly two films in the first online Fright Fest inhabited that were not great. Uh, shall we move on to our topic of the month? I think we should. Yes, so this, this is going to jump nicely from this conversation into us talking about women in horror, and it is Women, women in Horror Month. And so what we've done is we thought we'd highlight uh, three films each that we think you should seek out, go off and watch, because they are some of the best examples of horror. Uh, so, James, you're going to go first. Which three have you picked? Thank you very much. Well, for my three, I've gone for three of my favourite female-directed horror films. And my first example is is Catherine Bigelow's first feature as a solo director. It's Near Dark. Now, she may be known for her socially relevant dramas. It's what she won her Best Director Oscar for still the only woman to win such an Oscar, but it's worth remembering when she, before that, when she tipped her toes into more fantastical stuff. And for me, her entry into the vampire genre is possibly her best work. Now, what you got is the story about Caleb, this Midwestern farm boy who meets a girl, and he falls in love with her, but before he knows it, he gets turned into a vampire because she's part of this band of southern vampires who roam the highways in stolen cars, just feasting and leaving a blood trail and just having the time of their unending lives. Now, what you have is, crucially, it's a western tale, but it doesn't dwell on the vampi vampirism of it all. Instead, what you got focused on is this horrendous... They are a horrendous family. They're mass murdering vampires. And, and it's it's odd because there's something endearing to them in a way. Like when they reminisce over the over the great fight over the acts they committed in the past. When they you really feel them as a fami familial unit, even when you've got this horrific standout scene set in a bar, which is essentially vampires playing with their food. And what the of all of them, you've got a standout performance by Bill Paxton, who just steals the film as this sadistic vampire called Severin. And it's such a wonderful performance in a wonderful film, and it's one of my favourites. But all, moving on, I've got, I want to highlight Ravenous, directed by Antonia Bird. Now, she was brought on as a replacement director 
after some, shall we say, issues behind the scenes. But you would not tell it from watching the film. She does such a good job handling it. Now, you've got Guy Pearce's captain who arrives at this new post to investigate reports of a missing persons. And when he gets there, he finds a wounded frontiersman and he tells them this tale of how this wagon train was murdered by its guide, a vicious US Army colonel who went rogue. And they go over there to verify his gruesome claims. Now, what you've got is this frontier set cannibal horror comedy, which is an odd mix, but they blend so well together. And it's got bloody set pieces, which is set to a striking and memorable soundtrack by Damon Albarn and Michael Nyman. And what, and crucially, frontly, you have these two exceptional performances from Guy Pearce, as good as he's ever been, and this gleefully sadistic performance by Robert Carlyle, delivered in a way which feels so like he's wet, another skin for him. It's almost chilling because Robert Carlyle has to be either this really kind-hearted guy or secretly this sadistic serial killer to get that done so well. And I'm kind of scared to wonder which one it is. Now, this is one I took a chance on just late one night on Horror Channel, and I am so glad I did. And I hope you all take a chance on it. And my last film is over on Shudder, a film called Tigers Are Not Afraid. Now, it's set in this Mexican city, which is devastated by a drug war, where which has resulted in thousands of its citizens either going missing or just being murdered. And living in the midst of it, you got Estrella, this little girl who's been left on her own after her mother has suddenly vanished. Now, what she has is free wishes given to her by this teacher. And she joins this group of orphans and they look up each after each other one after another while surviving on the run from ghosts and the bloodthirsty cartel and think of it as city of god mixed with pan's labyrinth and you've got this fantastic blending of the supernatural with real life horrors and it comes off as a fairy tale which feels so fresh and engrossing you know you have ghostly specters and magical wishes they're a part of the story but it's built all around the human elements and the solid character work. And it's only 83 minutes, but Issa Lopez does so much more with this small runtime than I've seen big budget features do with twice the length. Those are my three films. I'd recommend every single one of them. And I hope anyone who seeks them out loves them. Stephen King's horror movie has been turned into a horror of a Broadway musical. And like you just want to, you want to see her covered in blood. For me and my collaborators, we stood in the back of the audience, going, "No, no, 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 no! Please, please, please! Oh, no, no, no! You're sending all the wrong signals." You, you know, once we got in the theater, I think to myself, "What the fuck is going on here?" Stories became so embellished, and you thought, "No, that wasn't actually how it was." Like this did not. It didn't feel like there's something. Something is terribly wrong. Coming later this year. I don't know what's going on. Just go out there and do whatever you can. Two fans deep dive into their 20-year obsession. I've done, like, bigger things in my career, but, like, that is the one thing that has followed me. (laughs) It's been called Broadway's Greatest Flop. 
I've had a lot of great things happen to me, but the absolute maddening joy of receiving the video cassette of Act One of Carrie on Broadway was like, there's just no, no other feeling. It'll never be tapped. But was it really as bad as everyone says? Betty sort of rushed down to the front and she held my hand in the dark and I looked at her and she just went, let's see. It's made fun of and dismissed the subject matter of Carrie (laughs) because you can't do that without making fun of and dismissing women's needs and and pain. Uh, We found somebody to whom the show mattered as much as it mattered to us. Out for Blood. The story of Carrie the Musical. The mystique of the Broadway Carrie is is a mystique that, you know, people just sort of have to tell you the stories and piece it together from photos and but you know it's it's hard to really it's hard to really capture. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. Vincent, what are your picks? Okay, thank you. Um, I will, just uh, in response, um, we'll come back to Near Dark a little bit later on. Um, I've never seen Ravenous, but you may have sold me on it. Uh, James and I totally agree. Tigers are not afraid um, is one to seek out. So my top um, female-directed horror films, I'm going to give them in chronological order. Um, And there's one from a Canadian, one from an Australian, and one from a French director. So the Canadian is Mary Harron and her film American Psycho um, from 2000. So it's a film directed by a woman, but it is about a man. And indeed, it is about masculinity of a rather horrific kind. Now, the funny thing is, I often have to be reminded about talking about this one in this context, because it's not one I immediately think of as horror, which is a bit surprising considering how pretty damn horrific it is on um, multiple levels. On the one hand, it is very visceral and shocking because there's a fair amount of dismemberment um, and, uh, you know, violent murders, you know, people you know, hacked to pieces with axes and um, a sight that we all really want to see of a naked Christian Bale running down a corridor um, with only a chainsaw to conceal his modesty. But it's worth noting, I think, that aside from being, it's got this kind of physical, visceral um horror aspect but there's also but it's also quite um um socially um unpleasant as well because there's a well the violent treatment of women starts even before um the killing does um there's a scene quite early on when a woman is you know quite badly beaten and that's as it should be quite uncomfortable to watch so i think it's significant that mary harron is you know turning this um quite uh this, this very keen satirical eye on this particular type of um masculinity and it's, I think it's quite psychologically frightening because there is, it is very much a film concerning lack of identity. Um, the central character, played by Christian Bale, Patrick Bateman, he murders and dismembers people because there is nothing to anyone. People are pretty much meat um, with, in nice clothes. Um, and I think this reaches, it, this um, kind of aspect of the film reaches its um, peak in the final moments but actually, I won't spoil it, just in case one of our beloved listeners has not seen it yet. Um, it's also, though, horrific, um, as I mentioned, socially and politically. 
um, and it's expressed through this absolutely pitch black comedy satire. I actually think of American Psycho as a comedy before I think of it as a horror. And I tell that to people and they're like, what? Are you ill or something? Uh, yes, probably. <laughs> Maybe I'm a British psycho. Who knows? Um, but I think it is also disturbingly prescient, despite its historical setting. It was made in 2000. It's set in the sort of um, late 80s, uh, Gordon Gecko, Greed is Good era. Um, but what we have here is this cutthroat, self-involved, toxic white man that Patrick Bateman represents. And this is the type who has become ever more prominent and dangerous in contemporary society. I've not read the novel by Brett Easton Ellis that it's based on, but I believe in the book it is mentioned that one of Patrick Bateman's idols is Donald Trump. <laughs> Patrick mentions early on in the film that he wants to fit in, and I fear and I fear that he very much would fit in today. If you know, Chainsaw, maybe not so much. Um, so that's my first choice, American Psycho, um, which is available on Netflix. Um, the other two films that I want to talk about are both interested in the feminine, but not, I think, the monstrous version. So the next one is 2014's The Babadook by Jennifer Kent. Babadook. The um, Babadook is, I think, wonderfully designed. It is supremely engaging. It's deeply emotional and um, affecting. And it is also fucking terrifying. <laughs> um, it's pretty. It's a very small film. It's most. It concerns um, this single mother, well, widow mother actually, um, and her young son. Um, brilliant central performance by Essie Davis um, as the mother. Um, so her young son Samuel is um, kind of obsessed with monsters and building traps to stop the monsters. And then it starts to be. And then one one night she uh, she reads him a storybook called The Babadook, and then things start getting weird and getting scary. And it's like, wait a minute, is this monster just in his head, or is it something in her head because she's very stressed and she's increasingly becoming terrified of her son? Um, and then there's some, but then we do start to see something pretty weird and menacing in the in, the, in their surroundings. I'll always remember. The first time I, I saw this film in a cinema with a group of friends, um, and I think we all really enjoyed it. But I remember the friend who was sitting beside me, she was repeatedly sort of coiling into a fetal position whenever there was something scary. She's like, sorry, 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 because I mean, she was apologising because um, I, I was looking at her, are you all right? Um, then again, to be fair, I was a wreck as well, because it is a film with, as I say, this very empathetic, uh, melancholy situation. It's very atmospheric um, and it has some fantastic jump scares. And furthermore, it's also a film that manages to be about a lot as well because it is a proper metaphor, I think, for working through trauma, working through grief. And it's worth noting, I think, um, I have talked to people who say that the final act of the film doesn't quite work for them, but personally, I was gobsmacked by it. Um, yeah, Jennifer Kent, I think, is a superb director. I really liked her follow-up as well, The Nightingale. Um, I don't think of that as a horror film, um, but certainly at times that is fairly horrific. But The Babadook by Jennifer Kent is um, available on Amazon Prime. And my third and final choice is the French film Raw by Julia Ducano, which I probably pronounced badly. I uh, saw that, so, uh, watched this film quite recently. Um, we mentioned the evolution of horror um, podcast before and their current mind and body season discussed the film raw so i made a point of seeing it 
Raw is intense, it is visceral, it is shocking, and it is disturbing in terms of its the way it examines and engages with and disrupts ideas of body and, um, well, the engagement between body and food. Um, there's also some interesting satire, again, of institutional rituals. I tell you, if you ever thought about going to veterinary college um, and you watch Raw, you might think twice about it. <laughs> um Raw uses body horror as a sort of a coming-of-age metaphor, not unlike some uh, ginger snaps, say, or something like Heather's. Um, But I think that this film is grimmer than that because it ties maturation and sexual awakening to a monstrous appetite. Um, And this uh, putting forward this idea that growing up leads to a redefinition of identity that brings with it terrible destruction, both of yourself and others. It actually struck me when I was thinking about this, there's a weird comparison to be made, and people hearing this are going to go, what? There's a weird comparison, I think, between Raw and Pixar's Inside Out. Because, you know, bear with me, both films demonstrate the essential destruction that is associated with growing and ageing. Um, Now, Inside Out presents this process as something positive and creative, but perhaps unsurprisingly, Raw um, demonstrates Raw is far more bleak, um, especially when um, it eventually ties the development of our protagonist, Justine, to her family history. And it suggests almost that even when you're defining your own identity, it can turn out you are still trapped. So that is my third recommendation, Raw by Julia Tucano and that is available to rent on Amazon. A trio of really uh, great films there. I I really do love The Babadook. I keep being tempted to buy the book to wind up my partner because it's like the last horror film I took her to that actually terrified her. And <laughs> yeah, there's a power to The Babadook. Um, I have picked a couple of films too. So my first one is Mary Lambert's Pet Cemetery, which is one or two versions two adaptations of the book but it is in my mind the better version it's from 1989 and the story of pet cemetery it's a stephen king book is that it's about a, a family that move to a new house and behind the house is a pet cemetery that has a supernatural power to bring back the dead but sometimes dead is better as is said in the film and when there is an accident that uh, kills their son the uh, father buries the son, the son comes back, and it's a bad idea. It's a wonderful film. I said so there's some stuff that's a bit creakily 80s, and there's some stuff in it that's very Stephen King of the era that I, I that make it weaker, but it has these nightmare fuel images that stick in my head that just are haunting and terrifying and so very effective. There's, of course, Zelda which is the uh, wife's sister who uh, haunts her and she is horrifying. And I won't go into the details of what that is all about, but it's has some of these terrifying sequences that will stay with you forever. And it's just this film that manages to capture what makes Stephen King scary. And and I like that. I, I haven't read the book. I hear the book is is better and it's more upsetting. The book is dense and it takes a while to get to the, the horror and it, it sort of builds in the grief of the actions that take place but the film is uh it's fun it's very much the kind of film i watched as a teenager late at night with friends and it has stayed with me ever since and it's just yeah if you want to watch an effective stephen king adaptation and sort of understand what stephen king in the 80s is 
this is the film for you. My second pick is uh, a horror comedy that is uh, really quite special. So it's um, Alice Lowe, who is a saint of uh, British indie horror, made this when she was eight months pregnant. She writes and directs it. And it's about uh, a widow who is heavily pregnant, who is being compelled by her unborn baby to embark on a brutal homicidal uh, rampage to take revenge on the people that she blames for the death of her partner. And so it's quite gory, quite violent, but it's also funny in, in an Alice Slow sightseer sort of way. And it's quite sad at times because there's a tragedy in, in the reasons behind what she's doing. But it is a, what I, when I first saw it, I couldn't take my eyes off the screen because there's something very interesting and haunting. And it gives a voice to something that isn't really discussed because we don't really see pregnancy represented in more than just a horrifying way in horror it seems to just be uh something we can show is is horrifying or to make us upset if someone's being threatened and they're pregnant but in this it's so central to the plot to the themes to the entire film that it becomes something really interesting to watch and alice Lowe is phenomenal she her direction is great her writing is hilarious and she is a superb star and, and it's framed so that Every most of our actors are only in like one scene, and that's how they shot it because she was so heavily pregnant they could shoot it really quickly and easily and just have scenes of individual quite famous comedians pop up and it carries on. And it's it's a really fun watch. Uh, my final one, and I almost picked uh Jennifer Kent's The Nightingale because of that one scene <laughs> quite early on. There's a very difficult to watch scene. But it's also the journey it goes on afterwards. It's, it's. I think it's a film that has to be seen, but probably only seen once. And I think it is a masterpiece. And as as much as I, I really like the Babadook, I think the Nightingale for me is is even more interesting of what it's saying about, uh, I guess, our place in our history and what we've done to get to this point. And there's so much in the Nightingale that I could talk about, but I'll talk about another rape revenge film. And I really don't much care for the genre the subgenre myself but this is fascinating so this is Coralie uh Fargett's um Revenge which is about a mistress who is uh raped and then they tr and tries to be bumped off and she doesn't die and so she decides to take out the free men who have wronged her and it is evocatively shot it's exciting and engaging it's it's again violent and it just shoots the film in a way that doesn't have a male gaze that has uh treats the incident that is the uh catalyst for the film in a way that it 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 doesn't feel like we are wallowing in it and then it goes from there and becomes this journey of redemption for its lead character that's really interesting to watch and it ends with this wonderful sequence back in the house that it starts and i'm not going to say what happens but there's a lot of nudity and a lot of blood and it's it's really great i really really like revenge i really like what it's doing and i really like how it approaches what is i think a slightly unforgivable um subgenre in horror in 87 huey released this for their most accomplished album i think their undisputed masterpiece is hip to be square a song so catchy most people probably don't listen to the lyrics but they should because it's not just about the pleasures of conformity and the importance of trends it's also a personal statement about the band itself Hey, Paul! Ah! 
So those are picks. Um, go off and find them. They're really worth watching. And so before we leave you, we have to give you our recommendations of the month. So, Vincent, what do you think people should watch this month? Well, um, for my something new, I have picked um, The Exception. The Exception is a Danish film, and it is a tense, crawling thriller of toxic environments, escalating aggression, haunting trauma, gnawing paranoia, and past sins, both personal and national. Now, that uh, is obviously quite a heady mix. It concerns um, four women who work at a uh, research centre. Um, and if you've ever worked in, if you've ever been in a kind of work environment that where you felt a bit uncomfortable or you became very uncomfortable, um, not necessarily through anything overt, um, but through the sense of kind of microaggressions, passive aggression, sense of being excluded, then I think it's very um, relatable in that regard um, for uh, many of you. It's, um, it's, it's one of the, it's, it's the type of film that you can actually feel uncomfortable while watching in all the best ways. But it also goes into much um, nastier territory. Um, it has um, these kind of, uh, sort of breaches in its reality um, due to trauma. Um, there's, a, there's a strong sense of haunting that runs throughout. So it's in, it's one of those interesting um, kind of blendings of the thriller and the horror, um, which um, is, I think, a very interesting topic that perhaps we should be talk we should talk about on a future episode. But in the case of the exception, I think it is quite exceptional um, in um, the way it combines the very down to earth, relatable situation with some um, pretty strong. Um, and at times um, very distressing uh, moments. My uh, something old, or older anyway, um, on a streaming platform is another um, film that was prompted by the Evolution of Horror's Minded Body season, Teeth, from 2007. Teeth is a wickedly funny, knowingly wry, and effectively gruesome satire um, on sexual mores, it is a film fairly writhing with hormones, another interesting depiction of toxic masculinity. Um, it's got body horror, and it's also one of the, uh, as I say, it's kind of wickedly funny because it knows why it's good to be bad. Um, now, what's interesting is this is a film that's set in um, kind of a middle American, American town, and uh, one where, and the central character is one who is this young woman who has taken a purity vow. She wears this chastity ring. She's saving herself for marriage. Um, and the interesting thing about the kind of strict religious mores that the film is um, pinpoint, the film is utilizing, um, is that they're very easy to be contemptuous of them. But I think what's interesting is that while on the one hand the film is being, I think, um, quite critical of um, this kind of conservative Christianity, it's also being broader. It's also being very critical, um, I think, of control and repression in general, I think, because what we see throughout the film is here we have um, a young woman and the things that she has to, the, the, just the expectations that are on her all the time and the, con and the contradiction of these expectations. And I think it's a really interesting, particularly talking about women in horror. It is a male director, um, but I think that Teeth, is also a really interesting portrayal of female subjectivity. 
um, despite where it comes from. So um, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot of fun. It's uh, <laughs> um, beautifully nasty when it needs to be, um, and yeah, I highly recommend it. My something um, horror, but not a film. Um, as the kind of resident academic, I've, um, I'm recommending a book uh, that is an academic study of a horror film, one that you heard about not so long ago, Near Dark. Um, Near Dark um, by Stacey Abbott is from the British Film Institute's um, cl- uh, classic series, which are um, you know very short, neat books um, that do close analysis of particular uh, particular films. In this case, Near Dark. It's only it's less than 100 pages long, and it's a really um, interesting study. Um, the author, Stacey Abbott, is an expert on horror and on vampires. So, it is, so you know, it um, does a really fantastic analysis of Near Dark, highlighting um, aspects of the film's history, its reception, its visual style, um, performances, both by actors and also by characters. Um, and provides this and makes the argument that it, uh, the film's doing, giving this subversive narrative than is more than what it seems. And I will say, I when I saw Near Dark uh, some time ago, I wasn't a big fan of it. However, having heard you know James Wax lyrical about it today, and also having read um, Stacey's book, I am kind of tempted to give it another look. Just to give you a taster, there's a point where it says, the cast and crew inhabited a strangely vampiric nocturnal world with their workday starting at sunset and ending at sunrise. Um, yeah, so it's a really um, insightful study um, of, um, of the film, and I highly recommend anyone who wants to learn more about that particular film should check it out. Cool, those all sound great. Uh, I'm going to give my picks. Um, my Something Old is not really that old as it came out last year, but it was the last horror film that came out pre-lockdown, pre-pandemic changed our life. So it feels like a really long time ago. And I rewatched this just yesterday, and it is Lee Wanell's The Invisible Man, which is stonkingly good. It's stonkingly good. It's wonderfully tense. Uh, what it is, is it's a reshaping of the universal monster into being a text about gaslighting and uh, abuse and how one overcomes that. And it follows Cecilia, who's and then the um introduction she leaves her partner uh in what is such a tense sequence that establishes the use of sound the use of negative space around the characters to build this almost unbearable tension and it fast forwards a couple of weeks and he has died he's killed himself and so she gains a lot of money but then it becomes apparent that something or someone is haunting her and uh driving people out of her life. And I won't give much more away because there are some surprises in the tale. Maybe don't watch the trailers because they give away a a lot. But this is a wonderfully watchable film with some remarkable sequences. There's a sequence in a a corridor which is as good as anything in Lee Whannell's previous film, Upgrade, in terms of action. This is... It's such a fascinating film to watch. And I, I wish it was getting more attention in the award season that we're having because... The, on a technical level, it's remarkable, and there's one performance in particular that really stands out, and that's the central performance from Elizabeth Moss. And it's not really unsurprising for me to praise Elizabeth Moss because she's had a remarkable couple of years in... Well, since Mad Men, she's just starred in film and TV show that's been 
remarkable performances and really interesting topics being explored. And in this, she is this, it's this wonderful performance and it, it's, it's lots of small details come into it to build our sympathies and to be on her side as these strange occurrences happens. And watching it for a second time, I gained an interpretation of the film's last act that I won't divulge here, but it makes it uh, a bit sadder if you read it in a certain way. And it can be read in multiple ways, but I think there's a reading of it that makes this film quite sad in its last act. But I adore The Invisible Man, and it makes me also remember that there was a time when we could sit in a cinema with a near-full audience with no masks on and gasp along to a horror film. My second pick is a film that I caught, and it came out last weekend, and people were saying that it was a good film, and it surprised me because it is a Gerard Butler film, and I mean minimal disrespect with Gerard Butler. I like him in a supporting role. I like him as part of an ensemble, but in a leading role, his films don't really click with me. But Greenland is a bit different. It's um, a family is trying to uh, find a way to the aforementioned land, to survive what is a species, uh, species, a species killing event. There are meteorites raining down on the planet, and there is one coming that will basically end all life. And it is this wonderfully grounded disaster film. It's not quite full horror, but it's pretty horrifying to watch. It's a pretty scary film to watch because it basically plays out. There aren't these big, lavish uh, CGI set pieces. It's all about them like going to an airport and trying to get through people and trying to negotiate with people to get onto a plane. And there are desperate people doing desperate things. And it's this very well-felt realism is at play here. That There's nothing that ever feels like it's particularly outlandish. So it's a really great watch. It's not very fun. It's quite sad. And it's it's particularly in a global pandemic you feel it a lot more but i was pleasantly surprised by greenland and it's it's a solid three and a half out of five but it does what it does really well and i really admired it for what it was doing uh, and my final pick my uh something not a movie is a game i'm playing right now from remedy entertainment called control and it's uh it's a sci-fi horror game where you go to this uh nondescript office to try and find uh, a loved one and you end up with um psyop powers so you're able to move things with your mind you have these strange sequences inside of a pyramid and it is uh it's kind of fun and a bit goofy but also not cheery so i really enjoy this game it's really uh, up my street and i'm having fun sending things across the room and all these other things yeah i recommend control uh as a fun play and it's on playstation plus's game so you can have this for free if you're on playstation plus this month uh james what have you got for this month well for this month i have my something old which is what i think is an underrated comic book adaptation it's constantine starring keanu reeves as the titular john constantine and he's this paranormal investigator who teams up with this policewoman played by Rachel Weiss and they they go to solve the mysterious suicide of Rachel Weiss's twin sister and it's a neo-noir which takes place through 
the world of demons and angels who living within Los Angeles. And as f when you get down to the comics, the original Constantine is a blonde Brit. So Keanu Reeves playing the role is a choice. But as a film in its own right, this is actually rather fascinating. It's a neo-noir that's rooted in demons and exorcisms and the occult. And it's such a good time. Yeah, Francis Lawrence keeps the gripping story moving along smoothly. He delivers it in such a stylish manner. And it goes up to what I think is a nice change of pace, a low-key finale, uh, where the fate where the fates of some things hang on hang on pretty much words and and little bit of trickery. And it's I think it's such an underrated film. And you can check it out on Amazon Prime right now. My Something New is a film called Sator. And it follows this guy called Adam who lives a life of isolation in the woods. And his time is spent hunting for food with his pet dog and looking out in the woods for Sator. Now, who is Sator, you ask? Sator is a supernatural entity that was taught to Adam by his grandmother. And his grandmother claims that Sator has been whispering in her ear throughout his life. And what's fascinating about this is director Jordan Graham, he devoted seven years to bring this project alive. And its inspirations stem from, from the director's grandmother, who genuinely believed in Sator. And her belief began in 1968 and led to her being institutionalised. And... As far as the film itself, it's a very interesting piece which calls to mind Hereditary, as the, and this you have this question hanging over the film of whether demonic forces are truly accountable for what happens, or is it down to a psychological breakdown? And it is quite a chilling watch, and there's something of uh, tragic futility to what happens and you will walk away from this film and it will just stay on your mind from what you've seen and that film is that film is available on digital down, download from 15th of February and on DVD from 22nd of February it's one of my favourites of the year and I'd sincerely recommend you check it out and for my Something Horror which isn't a film I've decided to to get in touch with my inner anime fan and I've gone for a series called Attack on Titan. Now, this series was big back in 2013 when it first came out, but then the creator did an anti-George R. R. Martin and had the and the anime series stopped so that the source material could get further ahead. And it's come down to the final season, which is airing now. And basically, the story is you've got the last remnants of humanity who have been forced to retreat behind these towering walls of this fortified city. And they've done this because on the other side of the walls are these massive man-eating creatures called Titans, who's, well, they're just there to eat the people just because. And you've had these generations of people live within these this city. They've gotten used to the situation, 
until one day this colossal titan up suddenly appears and he's so big that he's peeking over these massive towers and he shatters the walls and the people's illusion of safety. Now, that's how it begins. And the story which unfolds from that is so fascinating. I'm currently revisiting the first season. I haven't seen beyond that, but but what I've seen, it's a compelling tale with exceptional character work. And it is very grisly. Like the Titans and their man-eating capabilities are not flinched away. And I would recommend this uh, based on the basis of series one. I can't speak for the quality of the future seasons, but I'd be but I'd be very surprised if it's if it's shit the bed like uh, Dexter or uh, Game of Thrones did in their final years. Now it's available on Crunchyroll, which is free if you can tolerate adverts. But there is also always the option to pay extra to go ad free, and then it's also available on Funimation, which I believe is a paid subscription. And I would recommend the series. He said that wherever I went, he would find me, walk right up to me, and I wouldn't be able to see him. Adrian is dead. He's not dead. He has figured out a way to be invisible. Uh, so those are our picks of the month. Uh, go off and seek them out, and we've given you lots of things to watch and uh, read and play over the next couple of weeks before we come back and give you some more recommendations. So all that's left for us to do is to uh, tell, you, tell you where you can find us. So you can find me at Russ Loves Movies on Twitter. I also have my own podcast called um, Not Just For Kids. And we will we have just finished our latest season where we've covered the works of Steven Spielberg across 11 weeks. And we're going to take a short break and be back with a season looking at Studio Ghibli. As well as some Patreon episodes covering none other than Batman. So check us out. We're a lot of fun. Uh, and some of these guys do pop up every now and then on them. Uh, James, where can people find you? Well, thanks everyone for joining us for this swinging sausage fest. And you can follow me at Twitter and on Letterboxd at RoddersJ04. And I'm mainly at thereviewingrodders.co.uk, where you can, if you venture there, you can find my reviews, podcast appearances, anything I do will be on there. And check it out. Cool. And Vincent, where are you? You can suck my sausage on uh, <laughs> on Twitter at Doctor Gain, um, as well, and also find me there on Instagram, both uh, at Doctor Gain. Um, both uh, include links to my um, review site, Vincent's Views, where I pon where you can also find links to all of my various publications. Fabulous. So that's us for this month. Come back again in March for even more recommendations and horror chat and as ever stay safe stay well and watch a lot of horror films <laughs>